This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat, and yes, author of Fall of the Boston Celtics. Fall of the Boston Celtics is still available for download at clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. Welcome into another edition of the number one podcast online dedicated to the NBA's winningest franchise. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Linda, Tick IQ, and Audible. Audible is the leading source of audiobooks online with over 180,000 downloadable titles to choose from. Audible has a cascade of material from all aspects of literature. And because of your listenership, Audible will allow you to try a free 30-day trial by going to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Today is Sunday, December 6th. Boom. No, D-Day is tomorrow, December 7th. Also in these parts, more commonly known as Larry Bird's birthday, that is tomorrow. Today is just December 6th. Just another day on the calendar, which I think there are less of those in the year than actual days. Every day is some sort of silliness attached to it with Earth Day, Cyber Monday, Cinco de Mayo, President's Day, all this worthless crap. So that way, you, American consumer, can be suckered into buying more worthless clap. That, there's America for you in the 21st century. But mercifully, today being the 6th, stop stop the music please. Thank you. Thank you. Just a good old-fashioned regular day. Today, Sunday, December 6th, 2015, is nothing more than episode number 134 of Celtics Beat, featuring special guests, old friend and former Celtic fan favorite David Wesley, now providing color commentary for the New Orleans Pelicans on Fox Sports New Orleans. And Justin Poulin will stop by as we kick a few things around. There later, I, Larry H. Russell, I am right now. This week's show is brought to you by Linda, Audible, and Tick IQ. TIQ IQ already has the cheapest tickets for all Boston sports. And now with their mobile app, you can save 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available. As well as see all the top deals for games at the Garden, Gillette, and on the road. They aggregate all ticket sellers on one platform and have the com- most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store to download the Tick IQ app and start saving today. That is TIQ IQ. Use the promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. That is promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase at TIQ IQ. <sighs> Well, good morning, as it is right now, very, very early on this Sunday morning here. But happened to catch that game last night? Never got the sense the Celtics would win it, even though they were a few shots, a few free throws, even uh, down the stretch there, a few plays away from winning. But it did look as if the Spurs were still in command, especially being at home there. Kind of ho-hum. They made the shots they needed to make down the stretch. But Celtics... Yeah, they did get the bare minimum done they needed to this week. You heard Mike Gorman on this show a few weeks ago now, which if you miss Mike or any of our guests or any of our shows, be sure to check out our archives, Celtics Beat on iTunes, Stitcher, or all the likes. Certainly, subscribing would help. But you heard Mike Gorman on the show a few weeks ago. He talked about wanting to see two week, two wins during this particular week. They got it. Three would have been ideal, especially as tomorrow night's game against the Pelicans after their big win against the Cavs back on Friday. Certainly does not seem like the shoe in 
that we thought it was a few days ago anymore. And while the Celtics are back home next week, there are some brutal, brutal games on the schedule, uh, particularly next Friday the 11th. I don't think you have to take a wild guess of who that is, who, who I am insinuating. But I'm not sure one can call the road trip a success yet, all because you give the Spurs a game. Still a loss. But all because you give the Spurs a fight, and then you get the two games, two good wins, really smacking Sacramento around, and then getting Miami on a back-to-back. That's looking like a better win by the day, just so you know. But getting Miami over on a back-to-back after a pretty poor showing down in Orlando to start things off. But a good week. Good enough, really. Good enough. Good week on the court. Not so much off it. Danny Ainge saying that Marcus Smart is still, quote, a couple weeks away. After already missing nearly two weeks here already from what was an original one to two week diagnosis does not sound too promising. Whether he suffered a setback in rehab, oh God, that only happens so much with Celtics players. I don't know, but his health is very frustrating. Really the health of a lot of these guys over the years now. I think fans have a really bad misconception when it comes to athletes staying healthy and getting hurt they think it's almost always attributed to luck like oh poor them they can't catch a break i'm sorry when there are trends there you have to start asking questions i think i'm going to do so i just don't like seeing said trends here and i will leave it at that for now may touch upon this no i'll i will definitely touch upon this later with justin poolin who predicted this about a month ago on this show with marcus now, but back to the good stuff here with the Celtics grabbing some road wins to, at the very least, give this trip, call this trip salvageable. And tomorrow's really going to change things around here, if that's a word. Tomorrow is going to be the true judgment of how we view this trip. Hate how it comes down in one game, but hey, difference of a 500 or above in these congestion of games or not. Again, David Wesley of Fox Sports New Orleans will be here a little later in this program to talk about the Pelicans, and that game tomorrow night. But the Celtics throwing two W's in the bank this week is certainly aiding the cause a lot, that being hopefully being at or around, or hopefully above, 500 uh, around Christmas, weathering the storm a bit early on with some player and rotation issues. You've heard Jay Crowder after the game. First time we've heard that all year along those lines on that game. Sunday complaining about how guys need more defined roles. Thought that could happen. It did, but hey, since then, the Celtics have only lost one game. They went 2-1 and one after that, so so much for the so-called chemistry issues really throwing things awry. But they're hanging around with this tough schedule, and then maybe they will have a run or two in them this season where they can go on a little stretch and rip off some Ws. As I've pointed out on prior shows, got a good chance after Christmas with some cupcakes served up. But I do get the sense, especially when you see this team put things together, and they do that a lot, as pointed out by Sean Grandy on his Twitter numerous times now. Celtics still lead the league in a margin of victory based on an average point differential scale. Yes, even ahead of the Warriors, the Celtics themselves are second in the conference in point differential, fifth in the NBA. Imagine that, fifth in the NBA. It's always been a fair barometer to measure how good teams really are once you have a good sample size. And when we're just about a fifth of the way through the season, as we are, now that's not an ideal body of evidence, but it's a pretty good one. And when you watch them put together some of these games or play the way they do in good portions of games, like they did down in Miami, or just dominate from the tip against Sacramento while playing in another country, 
you do see the potential there. Not not potential for greatness, but for this to be a truly noteworthy and formidable foe in this league. I think that there's heck, I think that there's now from the naked eye, just using the numbers alone, that's there. Scoring differential too, by the way. Remember this never mattered whatsoever. In fact, it was almost even a detriment if you had a high scoring differential and maybe a, a so-so wins and loss record as the Celtics do have. Remember we read that back in Moneyball. What was it, 2003 now? Read that book for the first time then. Obviously, it changed my vantage point entirely about baseball, entirely about sports. And that was really the book that made me put a premium on scoring differential as you know, some of the stories with the A's struggling early on in that 2002 season and them still believing, at least their front office, they were going to make a run, which they did in historical fashion, largely because they had a good run differential early on despite in the, in the season, despite them the team being under 500. Not saying this is the 2002 Oakland A's. Not saying this team is going to rip off 20-some. But I think using the numbers, then seeing what you see on the court and getting a gauge there and making judgments there, I like to think this team has a stretch or two this season in them where we'll be coming here on a Sunday or where wherever, and we'll think the Celtics are world beaters. Likewise, there might be a stretch that isn't so hot, but... That should be enough to get them those 45 wins this year, which seems to be the magic number threshold of whether or not we could call this a good season or so, at least on the court, because we know what will be a good season. That will take place off the court. Cough, Nets pick, cough. But yes, right now, average is still a good word to throw around regarding this team. Average just really can't seem to put it together on a nightly or nightly-ish basis. Comma, yet. Comma, yet. Just learn how to execute in the fourth quarters a little bit better, get better at winning close games, playing through adversity a little bit better, which we hope, we truly do hope, comes with more experience. Hopefully sooner again rather than later so we can start winning a little more games than they are. Or, of course, maybe making a midseason trade for an elite player with with the cavalcade of assets this team has. But let's just go with... What is here right now? Tell you what, while he may never be a superstar in terms of right here, right now, I like to think, or I do think, Avery Bradley is truly emerging. I do credit Jared, by the way, in our Facebook group. That's facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. If you want to take part in the discussion, facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Do have to give... Credit to Jared for pointing out Bradley's great month in November. And now, with good play into December here, had another nice game last night down there in San Antonio, at least offensively. Big part of this team. Big part of this team's success in relative terms. We talk a lot about consistency from this team, consistency from this group. Well, you can't get consistency from a group if you can't get consistency from one. And Bradley, along with, I'd say, Isaiah Thomas, the Celtics have been able to count on his strengths on a good amount of nights here. Obviously, there are some games. It can be a little frustrating. But Bradley has been really just solid, solid two-way player, night in and night out, having by far, like not even freaking close, a complete breakout year offensively, shooting very well from the outside, taking better shots, taking more efficient shots, and making the shots, but taking better shots. And, hey, give credit to the kid. When he came in the league, he could not throw the ball in the ocean. He had Arguably, I thought, like the worst ball handling skills in human history, or at least in NBA terms. But I remember a game against the Suns in his rookie year, I want to say around March 2011-ish. 
He couldn't get the ball across half court, and Doc Rivers had to pull him. They had to put the starters in the game in the fourth quarter to secure a win where the Celtics took a 30-point lead into that fourth quarter. That's how Bradley legitimately couldn't get the ball above half court. And Aaron Brooks was just sort of taking his lunch. But this kid has improved across the board, especially in some crucial areas every single year. I think we all remember those backdoor cuts with Rondo. He did a nice job mastering that his second year. But now he can shoot off screens. He shoots off the dribble. He shoots in open areas. Uh, He still moves very well offensively. And while I don't think he's that Darrell Revis eliminator on defense that he was his second year in the league, largely because of the role he's taken on offense since the departure of the big three and the energy that he's exerting on that end of the court right now. But he's still a very, very good perimeter defender, and he really has been a crucial aspect in the makeup of this team, in the makeup of defining who these Celtics are and who they want to be. And yes, is staying healthy. Big deal there, too. Big deal. Staying healthy because that was not the case early on in his career. And when you see a young player pick up an array of injuries, as he did, all over his body, shoulders, heels, whatever, everywhere, ankles, easy to get worried. But love the phrase Jared used to describe him. He certainly does look like as if he is a late bloomer. Good, Good phrase there. Look, I think Bradley always had a career in this league due to his skills and his unselfishness that would allow him to accept any role and bring things, i.e. his defense, to any team night in and night out. But this guy really is making a name for himself as one of the better guards in this league. And quite frankly, as we're now, what, going six, six going on seven weeks into the season here, he's been at a borderline all-star level here. Goes without saying, too, that would aid the cause, huh? If he could become a borderline all-star type guy for this team for the next few years. And right now, of course. But you have to give credit to Bradley. Takes a lot of commitment to not only add to your repertoire year in and year out like he has. And that, to me, has always been the sign of a guy being committed where they come back from off-seasons with either enhanced or new skills like he has. But give credit. He has really blossomed there's that word he has really blossomed here and i think we can use that word but come come about at the age of 25 which is older than one may believe in nba terms really come about here in his sixth season and well that is obviously good to see all right let's get back though to the current state of affairs here talked a lot about the past week Good week, good, not great, just like the entire season so far. No better way to sum it up, good, not great. Recap the week, little state of the team, and now time to look ahead. Semi-important game tomorrow night, last of the roadie, the road trip there down in New Orleans on Monday to face Anthony Davis and the New Orleans Pelicans. Our Boston Celtics pregame segment with David Wesley is brought to you by Harry's. Wake up to Harry's, a better way to shave with cost-effective razors and products designed to give you the highest quality shaving experience possible. You may not take my word most of the time, but I ask you to take my word on this as I personally recommend Harry's to anyone who puts a premium on the highest shaving experience possible. Their shaving products are sleek, classy, and leave you with the smoothest and most comfortable shave money can buy, and it doesn't take much money either. Once you sign up for an account with Harry's, you can save boatloads of cash by not having to go to your local drug or grocery store for your blades. Get them shipped right to your door. Courtesy of Harry's, get a Truman set, which is Harry's starters kit for $10. Yes, 
$10. That includes a razor, shaving cream or gel, and one month's worth of blades. One month's worth of blades for, again, all of $10. No tax, no shipping costs within the U.S. by simply mentioning Celtics upon checkout. That's Celtics upon checkout for a Truman set at harrys.com. And if you do not love your first shave, return it to Harry's for a full refund. As a daily user of Harry's Blades myself, I promise you, you will get your money's worth and then some or money back guaranteed just as you always do as a listener of this show. And we'll be coming up here. Special pregame show because we usually do the pregame shows on Sundays. Celtics play the Pelicans tomorrow. But it gives us a great excuse to catch up with our old friend David Wesley. Color commentator for the Pelicans on Fox Sports New Orleans. And of course, much of our audience knows him as a Celtic. Forever a Celtic. David, welcome back. The trifecta, the hat trick appearance on Celtics Beat. Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? Doing very well. Pretty. I'm anticipating the game tomorrow night, particularly with the Pelicans getting that huge win back on Friday. I would like to think that could be something that could get them off the mat a little bit. I know they have a lot of injuries, but outside of that game against the Cavs on Friday, what in the blue hell is going on down there? Well, for the most part, it's it's been injuries. Um, and then you take the injuries and, and tie in the fact that um, it's a it's a new coach, new system. Guys are trying to figure that out. Uh, they went from a slower down, grinded out, controlled basketball to up tempo. When you do that, well, you got to get in shape for it. If you've never really played that style, which most of these guys haven't then you don't know what getting shaped for that kind of running means. Um, so when you're trying to get in shape and you're trying to – or you think you're in shape and you come in and you realize you're not in shape, then those first couple of games, they look like they were gassed. And so it takes some time to kind of get everything put together. In the meantime, Drew Holiday was out. Quincy um, Pondash is out. Perkins got hurt. Um, Tariq was out, Norris Cole was out. So those are a lot of guys that now you have to make up production for. And um, Tariq has now been back three games when they played on Friday. Norris has been back three games when they played on Friday. They're starting to get some pieces pieces back. Kendrick Perkins on his way back. Um, Quincy Pondexter will probably be the last one back, but Another important piece. So the other night they played a really good game with effort, with energy, which has been a problem. They defended, which has been a problem. And they out-rebounded one of the better rebounding teams uh, in the league. So that's what's going on with the Pelicans. And, and you can see that game is one they can put in their pocket, watch some film. This is why we won. This is what we can do better. And hopefully they can have some carryover going into the Boston game. I want to talk to you a little about that game and how much of a momentum builder it could be. But the change of philosophy offensively. I look at, say, a guy like Omar Ashik, who is not having his best season. Is that is the change of philosophy offensively, is that due really just the new coaching system and the new schemes that were in place? Or is it could be done more to sort of fit the way this team is built now with this team being a little less bulky up front like they were last year where they were really taking advantage of taking advantage of teams inside for that matter. 
Well, you know, that, that's a good question. If you look at Osik, you're thinking, oh, this doesn't fit Osik at all. But one of his better seasons was with Houston playing this style of basketball, which is, which is weird to say. Um, Osik, he had an injury, had some calf problems. I don't know how much is bothering him, uh, but and, – and his stats aren't going to overwhelm you. And most nights you're going to be thinking, oh, my goodness, what is going on with, with, with Omer? I mean, he's just not doing anything. But you have to be – you have to look really close and you have to appreciate what he does bring because he's here, he just signed a, a major deal, and, and so you have to figure out where you can use him best. The other night when, um, when Cleveland has um, Moskov, Barajal, Love, Tristan Thompson, he was huge. He was one of the only guys in the game a lot of times that could move those guys out of their spots. He could defend them on the block and not give up, you know, space on the back down. Um, he rebounds. He got his hands on a lot of balls. He kept a lot of balls. He kept some things alive. So he was very instrumental in winning that game, even though, uh, you know, I don't know what his stats were, but uh, – He's not, he's not going to score for you. And I think that's one of the glaring things that, that people have a problem with. He doesn't catch the ball great. But, um, you know, this style of play falls into one of his better years. So he can do it. And I think it's better mostly for the rest of the team. They have the athletes. They have the talent. They just have to put it all together. If you want to sort of look to the, to the Celtics game coming up tomorrow night, uh, Monday night, are they are, are the Hornets? The Hornets. Congratulations. Are the Pelicans? Are the Pel- <laughs> hey? My my dad still does Baltimore Colts, so don't criticize me. For- oh wow! That's huge. <laughs> hey, so does Marv Albert. But the Pelicans yeah. are they even good enough for with to really take advantage of teams? I mean, they really used to exploit teams last year that did not have the best big man rotations. I would say the Celtics have. An average, I mean, a decent rotation along the front line. Are the Pelicans good enough to really exploit that now, or is they, that's not so much of an advantage for them like it was last year? Well, because of their style of play and because of where they're playing Anthony Davis, um, for some reason this team has went from I don't know, maybe middle of the pack rebounding to to now one of the worst rebounding teams in the league. Um, and Anthony is still getting, you know, over his last seven or eight, still 14 rebounds a game. He had three games in a row where he had 17, 18, uh, 19 rebounds. So, but all those games, Osh was out, and he was playing more inside. So, um, this style, last night he shot four threes. He was two of four. He's shooting more threes this year. Uh, in his mind, sometimes I think he runs to the three or runs to the trail spot as opposed to running and being out in front and getting around the, the paint where he's most effective. I, I don't know if they can exploit teams because, again, they're not rebounding the team and they're, uh, you know, they're, they're not, they're, they were number one, number two all year last year in block shots. Now they're more bottom half of the pack. So um, their inside game has changed. What they have to do, in my opinion, is they have to play with more energy, more force. Uh, 
they've been out there just kind of running up and down. If they make some shots, cool. If they don't, they come back and they kind of play defense. When they really decide to play defense, and they've done it in their four, five wins, they're they're as, they're as good as anybody. They can they can they can beat just about any team in this league except for Golden State. It's just a matter of what team is going to show up, what kind of energy, what kind of leadership is going to be on the floor. So with a Boston team coming in who plays hard, if they don't match that intensity, they're going to lose. Orlando came in earlier this year, did the same thing. They came in and they weren't better than the Pelicans. They just outworked them. So if they allow a team to outwork them, any team can get beat by any team. Except for Golden State, unless they show up one night and lay an egg. Do you think that there is possibly a culture problem, at least as of now, in New Orleans? If that's the case, if you, with the way which you're insinuating? No, I don't. I don't. I don't mean that it has anything to do with the culture. I, I, I mean it has, in my opinion, sometimes, you know, again, when you're not in shape to play at that pace, you don't have that energy, and then all of a sudden you have another game, and then you have another game. And you haven't really got in shape to play that way. It's a young team. It's a young league. Where's the leadership coming from? Who's who's saying what? Who's doing the the, the heavy lifting when it comes to you know getting on guys and saying, "Hey guys, this is not acceptable." Who's looking themselves in the mirror and saying, "I, I got more to give." And and. When you, when you have a situation where guys are coming down and you have one guy that takes the playoff, he gets beat, then the next guy takes the playoff, then the next guy takes the playoff, and all of a sudden you're down 10. That, that's kind of been the, the, the MO of this team. It's, it's, it's not, you know, they're just completely showing up and not playing at all. It's just each and every time, especially on defense, one guy will break down. And that just kills a team. The guy drives to the basket, weak side defense. He isn't even aware sometimes that the ball is coming, it's laid up. Nobody even moved. Um, and those things will come. They are working each and every day, talking defense, talking intensity. Where are you supposed to be? And until that stuff is instinctive, until that stuff just becomes natural stuff, then they can't just react and play the best they can play. I've been on teams where that was the case. We were terrible defensively. And then I've been on case in, on teams where you could see the communication. Hey, hey, hey. And you'll see a guy tap a guy on the weak side and say, you got to drop here because I'm going to the strong side kind of to tilt the floor. Last, I mean, Friday night, they did that. Against the Cavaliers, Brian Anderson called Eric Gordon and said, Eric, I need you to drop because I'm going across the lane to be on this side because LeBron is is posting Drew Holiday. They end up getting a trap, a cross-court pass, a steal by Anthony Davis. That's what they got to get instinctive about. And when that happens and they start feeling that success, seeing that success, that's when they'll take off. And that just goes to show you, too, the importance of having veterans on that team because the only – the only players that can sort of rectify that is sort of a veteran or two or even a veteran base around that. So, like you said, you don't really have those young guys getting down upon themselves if, you know, we'll say a thing or two doesn't go their way on certain possessions. Uh, last week, sort of a way to almost just sort of get you out of here, obviously the most important 
player on the Pelicans is, I think, almost everybody's favorite player in the NBA, not named Steph Curry, and that is Anthony Davis. What kind of season is he having? I've actually read a few columns. I don't know if they were columns and to hopefully get clicks saying that he's not having as dominant of a season as what we all expected. Yet, if you look at the efficiency numbers, and that's what I do because I don't watch Pelicans games every night like you do, if you look at the efficiency numbers, they are still pretty damn good. What's he like down there? Uh, he's, he's not the same as he's been the previous three years, and I think a few things fall into that. He is trying to get in shape like everybody else. He is playing a different style. When he's around the basket. He's just as dominant. Friday night against the Cavaliers. Down the stretch of the game. And, and, and I haven't seen this uh, a ton when you're talking about one of the better players in this league. Down the stretch of that game, he dominated. He hit all the big shots. He came up with steals. He, 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 he defended. He did all the things right. And I think, like, like everybody on this team, one, we we talk patience. This team is going to take time. One, to get in shape. One, to learn. Two, they're starting to figure each other out. Figure out where, you know, how this offense, how I can get my game going in this offense, how I can be most effective. If they can take away the good things that they did in that Cavalier game, this is where they're going to start learning. This is where... You know, when a team is losing like they've been losing, they need some success. They need to see, okay, all right, this works. We just have to play with intensity, and we this works. Now they have that. Now they 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 got a, you know, I guess one of those wins that you know kind of put a feather in your cap. We came out, we played, we played hard, we executed. Cleveland made a a, a run, took the lead after being down fourteen and they didn't panic. There's a lot of good learning things in this in this game, in that game that they can take away and say, okay, we've done it. We know we can do it. How do we repeat that? That's and just, as long as they play at that level, they're going to be fine. That's sort of the perfect way to get you out of here. Last question, I think the most general and bland of them all. Uh, is that what you're looking forward to this game Monday night? is whether the Pelicans can sort of carry that over to, to tonight's game, tomorrow's game, excuse me. Absolutely. If, if, if they can bring that, Anthony can be dominant like he was. Um, and in this league, there's not a lot of vocal leaders um, that I can tell. Certainly the Pelicans don't have that vocal leader. Uh, I think Anthony Davis each and every year gets a little bit more vocal, a little bit better. But – a lot of these guys try to lead by example, by playing uh, a certain way. But if you're going to play the way they played against the Cavaliers, you can lead by example. If you're going to play like you played um, in spots, I'm not saying every game they're terrible because they'll have two good quarters and you're like, wow, that's it. And then they'll not play good. And then they'll have a game where they play one or one you know, quarter good, one quarter bad. You know, each and every game they seem to have a quarter or two that they have letdowns and, and loss of concentration and lack of energy. Against the Cavaliers, it was four quarters, including overtime, where you could see the concentration on defense, the, the paying attention to to whatever schemes, whatever play, plan 
plan they had to, to go at LeBron or, or Kevin Love. They executed that. And that's huge. Now, I expect them to carry that over. And what you can carry over every game is energy. Yeah, you're going to make some mistakes. Yeah, you're going to miss some shots, miss some assignments. But if you have effort and energy and pride in what you do, that could carry you even through some of your bad games. David Wesley, New Orleans Pelicans, color commentator. You can follow David on Twitter at srdavidwesley 4 David, thanks for joining us, and good luck to your Saints today, man, against the Panthers. Pretty big game. It's a huge game, and uh, I'll be sitting on my couch watching. I'd love to be able to watch that game as well, David. It's just there's one issue. On at the same time and on the same station as the Patriots game this afternoon, so I won't get it, but I will be intrigued by it. So sad that, to me, the 430 game is all I look forward to in the NFL these days. I do not stay up to watch the night games, even if it is the Patriots. The 1 p.m. games are utterly unwatchable in my eyes nowadays, and they have been so for years. I think this is the season that really confirmed that to me. That's the one bad thing we've had to deal with as Patriots fans the past 15 years, is they like never play at 1 p.m. anymore where they play five or six of those a year. And because of that, we're now robbed of a good day of football like we used to get here in the Boston area. You get the Patriots at 1, then you get a good 4 p.m. game, and now it's 4.30, which I think is a little more annoying. So, the, for example, the Saints-Panthers. Now, both of those games, they're all on at once. So, oh, well, I tell you, unless you're a fantasy football savant or a fanatical gambler, I don't know how for the life of you can watch that 1 p.m. trash that's on at the, or the NFL these days. I mean, what was last week? Like Rams, Ravens, some other junk. It's just painful. I now read, and I, I read, I now read on my Sunday afternoons. And uh, of course, God, this show is sponsored by Audible. Get a free 30 day trial with the number one audiobook service online by logging on to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Book of the Weekend available on Audible. Rise of the Robots by Martin Ford. Available, yes, audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Do suggest checking it out. Basically, the book says that talentless stiffs like myself, doomed. And much of what I wrote about in my featured column, which ran on CLNSRadio.com on Friday, still available now, by the way, if you want to check it out. If you care to read me on CLNS Radio to kill time on these boring-ass Sunday afternoons, or get an audiobook on Audible with our Audible promo by using the code Celtics. Whatever fits your deal, do look forward to Monday's game with the Celtics. I appreciate David greatly for stopping by yet again, as it is a pretty imperative game for the Celts. Here to really put a cap on this roadie before Boston returns home this week with two of the league's best coming to town, the Bulls and the Warriors. Then they wrap it up this week with the Hornets, the, the real Hornets, not the but I best up a little earlier with David, the Charlotte Hornets on Saturday night on a back-to-back. And as usual, we'll see on this radio. We'll go live with the post-game show after every Celtics game, and we'll take your calls. The only New England broadcast to do that for the Boston Celtics. Yes, broadcasted live on CLNSRadio.com as well as the CLNS Radio mobile app available on Google Play, iTunes Store, Android, all the likes, whatever. For more info, yes, log on to CLNSRadio.com. Got Justin Poulin, former host of Celtic Stuff Live and now a contributor to CLNS Radio in here. He has been patiently waiting to shoot the breeze with me. But wait a wee bit longer, Justin and audience. Pretty pleased we will be back after these brief messages.
Cruise back to the 80s on the first ever 80s cruise. That's right, seven days in the most radical party to ever hit the high seas with a totally awesome lineup of artists that define the sound of the decade. Join Huey Lewis in the News, Richard Marks, Starship, Cool and the Gang, A Flock of Seagulls, Modern English, Naked Eyes, Tiffany, Wang Chung, and Jesse's Girl, the ultimate 80s party band, and the original MTV VJs, Nina Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter. As we cruise to exotic ports of core like Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Thomas, and the private island of Half Moon Key, we're going all out by building an 80s video game arcade with Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, and of course Pac-Man, showing movies like Ferris Bueller and Pretty in Pink and there'll even be a VJ contest don't forget to pack your best 80s looks because we're having a prom night a movie costume party, pajama party and neon beach party you can't miss this, sailing from February 28th through March 6, 2016 for the most gnarly vacation ever for more information log on to the80scruise.com or call 844-384-8080 This is Larry H. Russell back here again, and let me tell you a little something about me. I'm always reading a book, or three, be it a revolutionary breakthrough on neuroscience such as Daniel Kamen's Thinking Fast and Slow, or even a philosophical masterpiece like Plato's Republic. I'm always doing whatever means to soak up as much knowledge as I can about the world we live in, and we can't do that without literature. But not everyone finds it convenient to carry around all six volumes of the history of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire with them. But there's a solution. My good friends over at Audible. Audible is a leading provider of audiobooks with over 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature. You don't need to be all alone creating that impossible private time with our everyday lives of chaos to do some reading and relaxing. Audiobooks are great to listen to wherever. Be it in the gym, doing chores at work or around the house, driving, riding, shopping, whatever. Audiobooks are the remedy for you. And Celtics Beat and Audible are teaming up to offer you your first audiobook for free. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Celtics. Welcome back into Celtics Beat. Justin Poolin is joining us once again. Hi, Justin. Hey, Larry. How's it going? Oh, I am doing phenomenal. How about yourself? I'm excellent. You know, it's been, uh, I'm all stuffed full of turkey. I'm not in the gym and rolling right through to Christmas. So you know how it goes. It's a, it's a good time of the year. It's a lot of fun, but I'll have a lot of work to do in January. I think we all do. This is personally my favorite month of the year because it's the easiest month of the year for me, December. Let's, there's one thing I didn't really get a chance to talk about with the Celtics in the opener as well as also with David, because I don't think David generally cares too much. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is sort of griping at me now, and I've really held back on this for a few weeks because largely I don't think anybody really wants to, I don't know, I'd say discuss this, but Marcus Smart is out again, and according to Danny Ainge, who appeared on radio back on Thursday, I believe, is still, quote-unquote, a couple weeks away, and this was after a one- to two-week diagnosis. I think I'm going to come under a lot of fire here by bringing this up. I'm a little ticked off at the Celtics conditioning staff. There's been problems with injuries every single year. There's been problems with players being out of shape every single year. It could be fair game to wonder what they're doing. What say you? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting because the first time I was on this show this season, really my first appearance, you and I were drinking some Kool-Aid and I had predicted an upset and right, exactly. And, uh, and I said that Marcus Smart would be a big key to that game. And then, you know, we said, Hey, you know, we don't want to be drinking Kool-Aid, you know, every day. I'd like to throw some criticism. I said, well, if you're going to throw criticism, it's, it's going to be at Marcus Smart and whether or not he can stay healthy. Um, I want to go down this road with the conditioning staff because I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. Um, I don't know that I've really put a ton of thought into that. So I want you to flesh that out. But I am concerned about Marcus Smart. Uh, the great thing is he's an amazing defender. Uh, the bad thing is that with that intensity or that level of intensity of play, you know, he's prone to injuries. Now, I know you're going to go to Jared Sullinger in your conversation about the conditioning staff, no, well, right? Actually, well, I, I could if you wanted to. but Well, you have to. Yeah. I think it's part of the, you know, if you look, I mean, I know when we drafted him that there were injury concerns, and then we lost games that first rookie season of his. Um, and even his conditioning over the summer was done, you know, not with the Celtics staff, obviously. That was done on his own. And we have seen some benefits of that this year. But, um, you know, my concern with, with Jared Sullinger was conditioning impacting his level of effort on the floor. With Marcus Smart, it's the other way. It's the complete opposite. It's his effort on the floor impacting his ability to stay healthy. And so uh, I am concerned about that long term. Uh, obviously, I said so before it was even a concern. I enjoy being a prophet, uh, you know, saying that they were going to upset Oklahoma City a lot better than I enjoyed this conversation and saying that I thought this issue would be a, a concern of Mark, for Marcus Smart. Uh, we need him healthy on the floor. The team really hasn't fared so badly in his absence. I mean, let's face it, that backcourt and even how Brad Stevens wants to use Evan Turner has sort of settled itself out, and he's going to be back into a position where not, the rotation isn't going to be as smoothed out when Smart does come back, but Smart needs to be on the floor. So how do you keep him on the floor? And maybe that's the best segue into talking about the conditioning staff. Um, there's always going to be injuries in the NBA, Larry, so tell me why, you're, why you have a laser focus on the Celtics conditioning staff specifically. Maybe because I always want them to be the absolute very best. You, you always read these stories about how the Phoenix Suns, especially with their veterans they had around the turn of the decade, they had a lot of guys in their mid-30s, even late-30s, resurrect their careers almost, all the way down, say, from keeping Steve Nash healthy. Shaquille O'Neal having some fairly healthy seasons out in Phoenix. Grant Hill playing 80-some games to finish out his career, when in the prime of his career, he couldn't stay healthy at all. And all these guys attributed to the Phoenix Suns staff. You can even throw Jermaine O'Neal in there as another example. My thing with the Celtics staff is it's, it's really tough to sort of point and give one example because there really is no concrete evidence to say, like, oh, geez, it's, it's clearly their conditioning staff. But I sort of say along the lines of, you know, what have they done? You know, you look at, say, Jermaine O'Neal. He looked like he was finished in Boston. He was atrocious those two years he was here. And then he goes to Phoenix and looked like he was able to He was squeeze two more years out of the sponge. Ray Allen, another guy, every single season at the end of the year, there was some injury issue with him. And I'm using examples of, oh, geez, and every time you can go, oh, they're old players. They're going to get hurt. He goes down to Miami, he changes his diet, he loses 15 pounds on strategies alone, and he plays two rather injury-free seasons at the end of his career, now this is as he's older, in Miami. And if I go back even five, six years ago now, every single Celtics season, 
in which they did not win the championship except for 2008. They pretty much lost those seasons, maybe outside of 2011. They lost those years solely because there were multiple injuries on the team. Well, all right, so let's look at those multiple injuries, right? First, I'll debate Jermaine O'Neal. I'll say Jermaine O'Neal was washed up. You know, I, I think but he was now, anyway. He, and, but when he left, he still got better. He got better and healthier when he left. That was what was, it was – I'm not saying he tore the world up. But he was yeah. already washed up. It wasn't like he was playing 35 minutes a night, right? And I'll, and I'll apply that. Able to play. He was least able to get on the floor. He could not get yeah. on the floor in the Boston. Yeah, and I and I think there may have been some issues around conditioning in general with him, and maybe you know maybe he found the right diet. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take Jermaine O'Neal as a weak example and put him in the outlier status. With Ray Allen, though, it makes a ton of sense. Minutes management, right? Look how many minutes he was playing for the Celtics. Yeah, Obviously, Avery Bradley emerged, and he began to lose some of those minutes, but. Very easy to see how Ray Allen got extended. You look at uh, Rajon Rondo's injuries, they're very parallel to what you see with like a Marcus Smart, right? Going hard to the rack, playing really hard, ending up on the floor, body takes a pounding. The conditioning staff can't prevent that. I will say this, though, and I I know we're going to go to it. I'm going to go off sport here, but when you look at like Tom Brady, who's been taking hits and he's been hitting the ground a lot, he has an interesting training regimen where he's not packing on the muscle, but he's improving pliability and flexibility. Now, I don't know what the Celtics conditioning staff is like, but there may need to be a move with a sport. I know basketball is not a contact sport, but let's face it, the way that some of these guys play, how hard they hit the floor, pliability is a major factor to reducing injuries. So maybe that something that's not in their regimen that should be in their regimen um but i don't know enough about the conditioning to say that but if we're going to go down the road of conjecture that's what i would say i would say maybe the methods that are um being put into place don't increase pliability but as far as Rajon Rondo in the playoffs, the way that that elbow bent, I don't think any amount of pliability was going to prevent him from not being injured right so I think, yeah, there's been some players that have been missed. I think it's something you keep an eye on. But I'm not 100% convinced that this is a conditioning staff issue. What I will say, though, is if you start to see some of these injuries that aren't related to major impacts and, and and style of play, and they continue to add up, especially with the way Brad Stevens is able to distribute the minutes. I mean, we talked about this on another show. But the way that he parallels Popovich in managing minutes really bodes well for these stars not to be injured. So if the com- if if that does not reduce injuries and you see young guys who are sustaining injuries over the next 2 to 3 seasons on the Celtics squad, right? And it's not related to impact or style of play, and I have to chalk Marcus Smart up to his style of play and related to his injuries. I just have to because I just look at the way he dives to the floor. Uh, the I look- latest injury you can, I'm not sure about these other. When you're do- talking about muscles and everything, I think that just is a case of not taking care of the body. And what I think also is just most frustrating is in this this discussion really came about really with Danny Ainge's announcement on Thursday about how he's quote unquote out another couple of weeks. It is very frustrating as a fan and very just irritating going forward for anybody. How many times when these guys get hurt, be it Marcus Smart, Ray Allen, Shaq, Kevin Garnett back in two thousand nine, remember? These guys continually suffer setbacks in rehab. They're not playing basketball, yet they're continually suffering setbacks. I I just question that. What are they doing then as to why 
There's a lot of setbacks. These aren't, these are not singular examples. These are four of the biggest injury examples this franchise has had over the past five years or so. You know, another thing you want to investigate then to, to really put something on the conditioning staff too is how quickly do these players come back? Because that's where I think you really can look yeah. and, 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 and point at the they're always getting setbacks. I mean, right. It seems like there's always Shaq. There was like four setbacks. Ray Allen, his final year, setback. Yeah, but look at the. But you gotta, you gotta remember the age of those guys, right? I think if you're gonna question the conditioning staff, you've got to stay with the younger players on that because the body is different in the 20s than it is in the 30s. So if you want to point to Rajon Rondo coming back, um, I think he came back pretty well after both of his injuries, and so you know maybe that's maybe that's a checkbox in the favor of the Celtics conditioning staff, but. I think, you know, another guy would be Al Jefferson, right? And I don't know how much it's changed. I mean, I know some of the guys, I think, you know, Brian Dew's been part of that team for a long time. But if you want to point to somebody, you know, who took a long time, Al Jefferson, right? And he's been not perfectly healthy through the rest of his career, but he's been adequately healthy, and he suffered multiple, multiple setbacks. So, you know, again, we're going back many, many years at this point. We're going back 10 years. I mean, I'm reaching. But I'm just saying, you got to look at younger players, and if you're going to point to setbacks, because as the body ages, after the pounding of the NBA game, they're going to suffer setbacks, and that, I don't know that you I can don't attribute. I think you should just write it off, though, too. It's not like these guys are in their 60s. Yes, they're in their 30s. The body is not a well-oiled machine as it is when it's, say, 25. But it's still early 30s, uh, late 20s as well. Let's not pretend that these guys are old men. Well, I think you're right. They're not old men. But you also can't discount the amount of impact that the joints are taking, right? And the ligaments that are around these knees, you know, the lateral movement when they hit the ground. I mean, I just think that, you know, it's 82 games. Everybody said for a long time 82 games is too many in the NBA season. I understand teams got to get revenue. They need to have predictable dates. The season has to be a certain length. You're setting it up for the playoffs. Like, we get it, right? They got to play 82 games to be, you know, where they want to be financially. But over and over, year after year, the conversation always comes up that 82 games is too many for an NBA season and that that takes its toll on the players' bodies, which is why you give so much credit to a coach like Popovich because he keeps the minutes down so that they don't suffer in the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, all I know is I don't think there's been any really players who have pointed out and just said, wow, thank God, of the people that I've met here in Boston, the same way certain guys like Shaq, and Nash, and Grant Hill, and even Jermaine O'Neal out in Phoenix, the way they complimented Phoenix's staff. But it's just, it's really tough to look at it from the way me and you are looking at it from the outside, other than the, you, well, have you, be, you would have to do some it. thorough investigation. Exactly. I, did, I tried to do as much as I could last year when I did a feature on this, and when I talked to Roy Hibbert's trainer, he told me specifically that there were like 85% of the teams are so far beyond behind in this aspect, it's not even funny. There's about a 10 to 15% advantage in professional sports. And I'm not talking about weighing guys every single morning. Like I read a quote from R.J. Hunter saying, my God, this medical staff, they weigh you. Like, oh, geez, you know, so does 85% of America, R.J., where you, people get out of the shower, they weigh themselves. I mean, I'm talking about stuff like investigating their biometric data, resting heart rates, etc. I'm curious. I mean, I, we don't know if the Celtics do that, but there's a lo- there's far more advanced material there there the same way there was almost sort of a statistical revolution back at the turn of the century there is now a revolution in this aspect i think they should look at flexibility training i wonder if the celtics 
are on the ball there. And I just. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you know, again, like you said, it's hard to get objective data. It's hard to really nail it down. And the players, I mean, and the Celtics aren't afraid to take on some injury prone players, especially during that stretch when they didn't have any cap space. Right. Jermaine O'Neal is a case in point. They're not afraid to bring in some guys that have an injury history and try to work through it and see. Uh, yeah, well, I'm tired of waiting and see. I'm tired of waiting and see. I want I want results right now, God damn it. But, Justin, we have to move on to another segment around the NBA in five. And, hmm, I, I can't re- quite recall. What is around the NBA in five sponsored by? <laughs> Very convenient. All right, let's hit this one. AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Thanksgiving is in the books, and now the countdown to Christmas is on. And the time to plan is now. Forget the games. Holiday dinners are the backbone of all family get-togethers. And if you want to treat your guests to the best, then it cannot be suggested enough. Get your meat from AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. You will not find anything more delicious than that of AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Why? Simple. AFN's family ranchers raise and harvest their animals on small family farms, meaning their animals are treated with the utmost care, being fed USDA-certified organic diets while living humane lifestyles. Take my word for it. You must experience the difference between eating meat not raised in industrial farms that you're likely to find at your local grocery Store. American Farmers Network's beef is 100% grass-fed, giving it that tender taste and riveting flavor. And most importantly, a cascade of nutrients available in one of nature's purest superfood, pasture-raised meat. Don't wait long. Holiday sales are taking place now on AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. That's AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Eat your protein, Celtics. Eat your protein. Healthy, healthy protein. <laughs> <laughs> Got to talk about Kobe Bryant, though, Justin. Have Talked to. about it. Yeah. This is the Around the NBA in Five segment, which is going to be just Kobe Bryant. Final take on this until he actually does hang it up for good, mercifully. I've always argued that I think he's a fringe top 20 player in NBA history, largely because there are 20s or some guys I would take in front of him. I think he's, I don't want to say a, actually, you know what? I'm going to say it. Media creation. What say you? <laughs> I say it's really almost impossible for me to be objective for two reasons. One, he played for the Los Angeles Lakers. And make no mistake, as objective as I probably should be, the only show I ever did covered the Celtics. The reason it covered the Celtics is because I love the Celtics. So it's really hard for me to be objective in this. The other reason it's hard for me to be objective is because I still have salt in the wound from January 31st, 2007. Oh, Kobe, oh. the garden, goes off 43 points. Eight assists. I eight left that game bounce. early. I remember I left that game early. You were there. I was there as well. They were in the midst of their 18-game losing streak. The Celtics were getting it handed to them night in and night out. Paul Pierce was injured. Never mind what happened with the lottery pick that year, right? Turned out okay, I guess. But that night was the lowest of lows in the middle of a really difficult stretch. Never mind Gerald Green had 22 points and actually looked like he might become something at that point. Never mind that Ryan Gomes scored 23 points and Al Jefferson had 14 rebounds. Never mind any of that. Because what happened was the crowd started chanting MVP for Kobe Bryant. It what Lakers fans call it. It was. I mean, it was the college students, BU, BC. They come in from or wherever, Southern California. They complain. Non-stop about Boston. But I, listen, as I said, I left that game early. It's funny that you mentioned it was when you said January 31st. There was also another game, I believe, at the end of January. It was 2010 when he hit a game winner in Boston. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of been what everyone has sort of argued about with Kobe. 
that he's so good because he's so clutch. You can't sell that pile of bull crap now anymore. That's not that's because once with all these advanced statistics and advanced numbers there are out there, you can now identify certain aspects of data and not just watch Nike commercials of him hitting these phony game winners or watch ESPN first take every single morning with these arguments. Oh, it's Kobe the clutchest ever while they replay some worthless game winner over and over again. The numbers are out there that he's actually a poor clutch shooter, that he's never really had signature playoff games throughout his career at the right moments. It's, he's had very good playoff games, and I'm talking like, say, a game seven of a series or a clinching game. He's never had that signature game. You could more than welcome look it up. I look it on NBA as well on CLNSRadio.com. I've argued really that I think that his career is based on his accolades, like he's his resume. You know, it's, and I don't think that's how you pick your NBA team, right? A guy comes in like an interview and hands you his resume and starts talking BS. I look at what you what you can do for an all-time team on the court. And I think the only way he can be successful is if a team was built around him as the number one guy. And if you're fielding an all-time team, you're not very... Well, let's, let's do this. Let's say that the league wanted an heir apparent to Jordan, right? They still wanted to run that model for the how they marketed they themselves. Yes, at the time and at the they time, did. they needed him. And so when they passed that torch, they were expecting him to do it. Now, like you said, they built him up. And I know Jordan had great players around him. I mean, we can't just say that Jordan but carried he, Now, hold on. Now, hold on. I got to interrupt Kobe you. Kobe never did it the same way Jordan did it. Yeah, but you know, also, too, and you bring up Jordan. And this is what I've always sort of argued as well against Kobe. All the great players in NBA history, no matter what teams they were on, those teams were going to be in the mix very good. Michael Jordan, as a rookie second-year guy, was playing with a cast of CBA players and international guys. He still had the Bulls in the playoffs. Shaq was on a crummy Orlando team his first year or two in the league. Orlando competed. LeBron, David Robinson, they were respectable. Kobe's been on some real lousy teams throughout his NBA career. He does not have the impact that those other guys do. So I don't want to hear say, oh, well, no one's ever done it by themselves. Don't you think that's leadership, though? I mean, I don't really care what it is. I think it's a leadership That he does not have the same impact on basketball games the way a Magic, a Kareem, a LeBron, all the way down to a David Robinson or a Shaq or a a Duncan does. I'm telling you, it's leadership quality. Those other players... That lifted their uh, the, lifted the team up around him. They had leadership qualities. I just don't think Kobe was ever a leader. I mean, he pointed fingers at times in the media, and you heard about that. You heard about all kinds of rife, you know, strife in the locker room. I just think it's totally one hundred percent a leadership quality issue. And I'll also say this: regardless of all of that, how bad do the Charlotte Hornets feel? Back in 2000, after they traded him for Vladi Divac. Nice. I mean, they had just gutted nice. the roster. Larry Johnson gone. Alonzo Mourning gone. Glenn Rice in. Kobe would have been the piece that would have helped their rebuilding effort, and instead, they stayed in rough shape forever. So, Well, Justin, I could care less about the Charlotte Hornets. It's about Kobe. This is about Kobe. And, I mean, to be honest, one more final point. He only really wanted to be the number one guy or to be on a team. Yes, Kobe wanted to win. But he needed to win on his terms. With him as the number one guy, that I think says a lot about the guy. And I don't think he is even capable. I don't want to say capable, but compared to other guys, he just isn't up there and capable enough to have that sort of same repertoire. But that's really a good way to finish this up, don't you say? 
Yeah, absolutely. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Oscar Vex, and Steph McGrateau. As well as DJS, be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. We'd love to thank our guests, David Wesley, former Celtic, as well as now New Orleans Pelicans, color commentator, and Justin Poole. And thank you for stopping by once again. My pleasure. As well as our sponsors, Linda Audible, Casper, American Farmers Network, and Harry's for making this all possible. I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Wednesday with Unfiltered. And next Sunday with another edition of Celtic Street and heard exclusively on CLNS Radio. 